Good evening. As we said this morning, we are having some technical difficulties with our sound. Basically, what that means is the whole front part of the auditorium uh, is out. So if you can't hear, I want to give you an opportunity. You can move over, because that section you won't be able to hear very well, and you can move back. Christians love the back. So, I mean, <laughs> now you have an opportunity and permission to move back if you would like. Otherwise, you cannot lobby complaints. By the way, I saw this this morning. I thought somebody just left it up here. Thank you for this. I don't know who's responsible. I don't know if you can read that. The Sermonator. I think that's a Steve Brown move, probably, yeah. So, I would have worn it tonight if I'd caught it soon enough. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, specifically verse 15, is a very familiar passage of Scripture. And it reads like this. But just as he who called you is happy, so be happy in all you do. Now, if your version uses holy instead of happy, then congratulations, you have the right version. Because happiness is not the goal of this life. Holiness is. And yet so many Christians want it to be. They want it to be about being happy. God just wants me to be happy, right? I've seen it over and over again. A husband is not happy in his household, so he leaves his wife and his children and finds someone else. And he says, but God just wants me to be happy. It's okay. God just wants me to be happy. We see it all the time with you know, in, in relationships or in jobs or, or whatever it is, immoral behavior being made right because God just wants me to be happy. Two teenagers involved in illicit sexual relationship, well, God just wants us to be happy. We see it over and over again, this, this mentality that God is there to affirm my lifestyle no matter how bad or, or wrong it is because he just wants me to be happy, whether it's a you know, someone who's immersed in drugs or alcohol, or it's a relationship uh, that's a homosexual relationship. God just wants me to be happy. And I can justify anything, no matter how sinful, as long as I make happiness the goal. As long as my ultimate end is happiness, I can justify just about any type of behavior. But this is a view of God and his will that is completely out of line with Scripture. And there's also a logical conclusion we have to reach here, right? There's an exercise in logic. If this is true, then this must be true as well. If that, then this, right? I mean, that's the exercise in logic we have to, to use. If God just wants me to be happy, then whatever makes me happy must be right. And whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. Right? I mean, that's the only conclusion you can reach. If God just wants me to be happy, then whatever makes me happy must be right, and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. I mean, when you look at this from a logical viewpoint, that's the only conclusion you can reach. Cheryl Crow saying, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. That's what so many people think. Consider the cost of living this way. It means I am the arbiter of truth. It means I get to decide what's right and wrong. My feelings determine what is truth. If it feels good, then it must be right. 
I am the standard. Surely you can see the absurdity in that thinking. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. Not your feelings, not your happiness. I am. And how faulty can our feelings be? We talked about that a few weeks ago. You can't trust your feelings always, can you? Especially when it comes to matters affecting our salvation. Happiness doesn't make something that is wrong right. Right is right, wrong is wrong, no matter how you feel about it. Here's another logical conclusion. If God just wants me to be happy, then whatever makes me unhappy cannot be God's will. True? I mean, we have to reach that conclusion. In other words, if I don't like it, if I don't prefer it, or if I don't want it, then it can't be good. But you and I both know that there are many things, many lessons that we can learn through adversity. We can, we can draw closer to God during trials and tribulation. It may not make us happy at the time, but it may be for our own good. Remember what James wrote in his epistle, Consider it all joy, brethren, when you face various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's not that the trial makes you happy. It's not even that the trial is good, but the result can be. It can produce something good in your life. So this isn't about making you happy. This is about making you holy. Here's another one. If I buy into the theology that God just wants me to be happy, then I begin to worship things that are not God. I have noticed that almost always, one who buys into the thinking that God just wants me to be happy also worships other gods. Money, prosperity, possessions, stuff. I begin to worship the things that are not God. Because I put my faith and trust in those things. I put all my energy into pursuing those things because God wants me to be happy. Here's the deal. We want happiness and we want God to sign off on it. We want him to justify our happiness. Our tragic mistake, though, is that we've made happiness the goal. Happiness should never be the goal. Because whether you realize it or not, happiness is based on happenings. It's a very shallow, cheap emotion. Happiness is all about the moment. It's a fleeting feeling. It doesn't last. And the interesting thing about happiness is the more you pursue it, the more elusive it seems to be, right? There will always be something newer, bigger, faster. The very things we pursue show us that we can never be happy, right? I mean, clothes are in and out of style all the time. You buy a new vehicle with all the bells and whistles. I mean, it depreciates as soon as you drive it off the parking lot. Computers become faster all the time. You know, you've got the latest, greatest cell phone for a week. The things we pursue promise that we'll never be happy, right? Where is the point that we can stand up and say, I've got it all, now I'm happy? You know how much money it takes to be happy? It's a little more. Just a little more. Now, there is actually a name that has been given recently to this type of mentality. It's called MTD, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. And what Moralistic Therapeutic Deism basically says is that God is there to affirm my choices. That's it. He is there to pat me on the head and tell me I'm a good little boy or a good little girl no matter what. And otherwise, he doesn't really get too involved in my life. Moralistic therapeutic deism is defined by God just wants me to be happy. He just wants what's best for me. Even if it's tragic, even if it's a mistake, God just wants me to be happy. 
You could go further with it, and some people believe in MTD being God wants you to treat people nice and fair. He wants you to to be good to people. But other than that, he's not going to get too much involved in your life. He'll stay out of the way to affirm who you are and what your choices are, no matter what they are. So you go to God, you make... You make your, your, your petition to him. It's kind of like God is a divine vending machine. I put my, my request in and out pop the blessings because that's what God is there for. He's like a divine genie. I rub the lamp and he comes out and gives me whatever I wish. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this as much, but I see it all the time, not just on TV, but I've encountered MTD and I continue to do so on a regular basis. I come in contact with, with individuals constantly who are bowing down to a God that doesn't exist. They've made happiness their highest pursuit, and they want to give God all the credit. I've even seen the reverse. I've witnessed people leave the church and turn their back on God because they didn't feel like God gave them what they wanted. They came to church for a whole month, and they didn't feel like God was blessing them, and so they turned away. They prayed about something. They didn't like the answer that they got, and so they turned away from God. Or they use God, kind of like Santa Claus, and their prayers are more like a, a Christmas wish list. Again, God is just there to, to make me happy, to give me what I want. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. This is a rationale or a mentality that makes man the centerpiece. And that's always dangerous. That's always wrong. We want what we want a lot of times, and we don't want God interfering with it. I mean, many times, if, if we're honest, we want to be the centerpiece, and we want God to step in when we need rescuing. Otherwise, we'd rather him just kind of stay out of it. That's how so many in our culture view God and the Christian life. It's about using God to get what we want because that's what happens when you make happiness the goal. We do it in church, don't we? I mean, we've talked about that consumer mentality that you see so often. We come to church, and we have this, this checklist, and if, if the church doesn't meet all of those items on the checklist, we're out of there, and we go somewhere else, right? Because after all, the church is there to serve my needs and my wants, right? And there are certain things that we should expect when we walk through the door. But there are a lot of things that are on our wish list, as Jake talked about this morning in his class, that, I mean, you're never going to find a church that meets everybody's want list. You're just not. And that's not what it's about anyway. Because what a lot of people don't understand, especially those who buy into this MTD concept, is that God doesn't exist to serve you. He doesn't. God doesn't exist to serve man. That's not his number one priority. That's not his highest responsibility. The goal is not happiness. The goal is him. A relationship is the goal. That was Paul's goal. Remember his words in Philippians 3, starting in verse 7, he said, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That is a very different viewpoint than moralistic therapeutic deism, right? Paul is saying, in essence, 
I want to know Jesus. But the verb form of to know there is the word genoskane. And it, it literally talks about personal knowledge. Paul's not saying, I want to know some facts. I want to know some interesting things about Jesus. He's not talking about theology here. He's talking about a personal, intimate relationship. And he's saying, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Don't we all, right? But not only that, I want to be conformed to his death. I want to know about the suffering. I want to know everything there is to know about him. I want to draw close to him. I want to be in fellowship with his sufferings, be conformed to his death. I want to experience Jesus on every level, no matter how bad it may get, no matter how unhappy I may be or uncomfortable I I may be in this life, because all that matters is that I know him. And if I get to spend eternity with him, whatever it takes to prepare me for that, I'm okay with. Can we say that? Whatever I have to go through in this life, whatever it takes to prepare me for eternity, I'm all in. I want it. I may have 50 years of unhappiness in this life, but I'll have an eternity to be in the blessed fellowship with my Lord. Don't pursue happiness. Pursue God. Because when you pursue God, you experience something far greater than happiness anyway, don't you? You experience joy. And isn't it interesting when you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the things that will make you happy, and they are completely opposite of the things that we think will make us happy in this life. They're really different than what we pursue to make us happy in this life, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, and on and on. Now, the word blessed there does not mean happy, at least not in the sense that we think of it. The word there in the Greek is makarios, and it means, well, let me tell you what one scholar says. One scholar says, makarios describes the joy which has its secret within itself. That joy which is serene and untouchable and self-contained. That joy which is completely independent of all the chances and the changes of life. According to Jesus, those who are truly blessed are those who make it all about God. Those who live for Him experience a different kind of happiness. Something that's really not happiness altogether. It's, it's, It's joy. And joy is not based on current conditions or mood. Joy is based on something far greater, something bigger than ourselves. Here's what you get if you live this blessed life. You get the kingdom of heaven, the comfort of God, an inheritance, righteousness, mercy, the hope of seeing God, and you are called sons of God. That's what it means to live the blessed life according to Jesus. That's what happiness, true happiness, looks like. It's goal-oriented living. It's a relationship-seeking life, which is what the Christian life should be all about. Now, I would say this. I I don't think that God intends for you to be unhappy in this life. Is God okay with you being happy in this life? I think so. You know, many years ago, we were vacationing in Florida, and we were on the beach, and we were hanging out, and my oldest daughter, Keely, was in the water, and she she loved playing in the water, and she was out there a little ways off off the shore, and some very nice people walked by on the beach, and they said, is that your daughter out there? And we said, yeah, that's her. And she's a little fish. She loves to be out in the water. And they said, well, do you notice those three stingrays right by her? Well, no, we didn't see them. 
And you look out there, and, and just, you know, if she's standing right here, probably at the wall, there were these three stingrays. And you could see the shadow of them. And not wanting to, to get her panic or, or, you know, to scare her, I just start very quickly rushing out into the water. I said, Keely, you know, come here. And she came, and, and everything was fine, you know, no harm done. I was perfectly fine with Keely being happy in the water until I felt her life was in danger. And then it was time to do something. And I think God is perfectly fine with you being happy until your soul's at danger, until your life is at risk, until your spiritual livelihood is at risk. Then I think he is ready for you to do something different, right? I don't think happiness is God's ultimate priority for you. I don't think that's his highest priority for you. And what will make us holy, I think, is what he in, in encourages us to strive for and what he wants for us most of all. You go back to what James wrote in James 1, 2 through 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Consider the original audience that was hearing this for the first time. Consider Consider it all joy, not some joy. Consider it all joy. Remember, we've said before that being a Christian in the first century wasn't just about coming to church and being a pretty good person. Being a Christian in the first century was a lot of times a death sentence. To sign up to be a follower of Jesus meant persecution. It meant that you were going to be mocked and ridiculed and maybe even that you would be put to death. And so he's saying, consider it all joy, not some joy, consider it all joy when you're flogged, consider it all joy when you're mocked and ridiculed and spat upon, consider it all joy when you're persecuted or even killed. You won't be very happy in those moments. But again, happiness is a condition based on mood and circumstances. Joy can be experienced in even the most difficult of conditions. How could Paul sit in a Roman prison cell and write the words, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice? Because in the moment he had joy. His current conditions weren't great. Anything but happy. But he had joy. Happiness is a fleeting feeling. Joy is an inward state of being. Happiness is a reflection of your current condition. Joy is a reflection of your general orientation toward life. Happiness is about the moment. Joy is about something bigger than yourselves. Like when you saw your child for the first time, when your child was born, suddenly your life changed in meaning and, and the way that you lived it. Now you had this little life to take care of. Your priorities changed more than likely. Your your whole existence changed. It's about being carried away to the point where it's no longer about you. It's like some of our parents in here, when we sit here and we watch our son preach during preacher training camp, or we watch him that Sunday morning when he goes out and preaches somewhere. I can remember when we were living in Cassville, Missouri, you know, I, I built a little pulpit for Zane. It was about this big, and he was like three or four years old, and he preached his first sermon to our family during the family Devo, and the lesson was, where is Jesus? He's here, he's here, and he's here. That was the lesson. Man, if you could keep every sermon that short. I can just remember tears welling up in my eyes and thinking, you know, that's my boy. You know, you get, you, you get carried away to the point that it's no longer about yourself. That's joy. Happiness can be, can be found in a moment, but it's based on mood and circumstances. Joy can be, a fa can be found even in the most adverse of conditions. 
Notice Hebrews 12 and 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus embodied the joy of God. He wants his disciples to have that joy as well. God used the cross to bring joy. I know that might sound odd considering the cross and everything that occurred that day, but it was transforming darkness and sin into something lovely and beautiful. It was something so profound that Christ was willing to suffer and die for it. You will never know real joy apart from God. You may experience hints of it in your life, but you will never truly know joy apart from God. He's the source, and you've got to connect to the source. Here's the thing. As I said, I enjoy going to the beach, not as much as my wife does, but I'd rather go to the mountains, but, you know, she, she would rather go to the beach, so we go to the beach, right? Um, I do enjoy the beach. I, li- I like the, the view. I like to hear the ocean hitting the sand, and we were just there in June, and you go to a beach and you can enjoy yourself sitting on the beach reclining in a chair with an umbrella over you and you know, you know drinking a, a soda and, and uh, listening to the waves reading a book or whatever you know who doesn't enjoy the beach fish if you were to take a fish out of the water and put him on the beach would he enjoy that what if you put him in a chair with an umbrella and you gave him a drink and a thousand dollars maybe you dressed him up in a cute little bahama shirt Would he enjoy himself? No, why? Because he wasn't made for the beach. Fish were made for the water. And likewise, you weren't made for the world. So quit trying to find your happiness in the world. Quit trying to find joy in the world. I would tell you this, lower your standards. Lower your standards. Quit expecting the world to make you happy because it's not going to. This life is not going to bring you joy. As I said, you may find hints of it, and definitely there is joy to be experienced in raising our kids and seeing them succeed and all that. But you weren't made for this world. Quit expecting the world to give you something that only God can give you. Connect to the source. That's where you find joy. Something that can be experienced in even the most adverse of conditions. Now, I say this all the time. I'm going to repeat myself. This is the greatest social network you will ever be a part of. Forget Facebook, forget Instagram and all those things. This is the best social network you will ever be a part of. And we exist, the church does, for the purpose of being the agency by which the story of salvation is to be told. However, when you read through the Bible, you know that that is our mission, but you also know that there are many one another passages in the Bible. Many one another passages in the Bible. You know that Paul's main theme over and over again was unity. That we are to be unified. I mean, how else are we going to get the message out if we're not all on the same page? But what you also see is from day one, the church was never perfect. You know, we talk about being the first church. Okay, well, the first church had problems. Because where you have people, you have problems. And I guarantee you there's somebody sitting here tonight who's having problems. There's someone here who is struggling. There's someone here who is not happy. And there's someone here who is not connected to the joy 
that can only come through a relationship with God. We want to help you find that connection. The beautiful thing about finding that connection is you don't only have it with God, you have it in a relationship with other Christians. And I don't know how people make it through life without fellowship with God and each other. We want to help you find that joy. Clinton's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you in any way tonight, come now as we stand and as we sing.